for downloading this podcast from the Freedom Centre Church in Preston. I didn't speak to Lydia this morning about what she was going to talk about, um, which is amazing because I'm going to spend all about 20, 25 minutes talking about pretty much the exact same thing, the idea that God is with us in, uh, in our suffering, when it's hard, when life is difficult, where is God in that? And, um, and because I love you and because I want you to have fun, we're going to read the book of Lamentations this morning. So um, if you've got a Bible and you want to find it, it's, uh, it's just after Jeremiah there. I'll give you a little while to to look for it. It will be in Lamentations 3 um, when the moment comes. And while you're looking for that, because it'll take you a while, um, I'm going to tell you a story. So this uh, this week, or earlier on last week, um, just before, I think it was before tea, so we were all kind of milling around in the the kitchen area, and I noticed that uh, Toby was ambling around um, with a broom handle, because we have that sort of thing lying around in our house. It's okay. We're good parents. And um, and he's holding this broom handle, not the brush, just the handle, um, looking, looking a little bit sad. And I said to him, Toby, what, what's, the, what's the matter? What's the problem? And he said, Daddy, I want to build a seesaw. And I looked again at the broom handle and I thought, right, okay. But because I'm a terrific father, and it's important that you understand that now, because I'm a terrific father, I didn't just say no. We sat down and we talked about it, and I agreed that if we could indeed find the necessary materials, we would build a seesaw in the brief window before tea, in a hurry. It was fine. So we uh, we worked on the design, we sat down together, we got our bits out, and um, and we kind of worked out that we did did have the materials we might need for a seesaw, that we had the the broom handle, and that was going to be our fulcrum which is a word that I learned, just so I could tell you about it now. That was going to be the fulcrum. And then I found a a plank, and that was going to be our other bit. I didn't learn that word, but that's going to be our other bit. And and we spent a little bit of time playing with that, and we played with sort of the where I had to stand and where he had to stand, and we did pivot points and lows and all that stuff. So I stood near near the fulcrum, and he stood far away, and we balanced out. It was great. And then I had to go and do something else. And And what happened was, when I had to go and do something else, um, he carried on playing, all five years old of him, with little lovely two-year-old Clara. And unsupervised, it turns out the seesaw wasn't actually such a good idea. And, and what happened was, because it was just a broom handle and a plank on a laminate floor, the broom handle slipped. And when the broom handle slipped, Clara, bless her, fell straight on her face. And, uh, and she hurt herself. And we agreed later that I am a tremendous father and the seesaw was a good idea. That was where we got to. We also established I shouldn't have let them play with it by themselves. But that is a different story for a different day. But the point is, it's a little bit like Lydia's illustration with the apple and the thing and the jar. And that when, the, when there's a fixed point in your life, when the thing that you build your life around isn't stable and it isn't secure, we find ourselves in pain. When the thing that you have built your life on isn't stable, when the focal point, when the fulcrum of your life isn't secure, there is pain. And when that stuff is tested, when it's tested like it has been for all of us this year, when the rug is pulled out from under our feet, it hurts. And, and when you're a Christian, you build up this sort of set of principles and the kind of things that we understand about God and who he is and how he works and, and what he's done that the rest of our life is balanced on. 
And, and what I want to do this morning is have a look in the book of Lamentations and, and just see if we can use that um, as a, a bit of a springboard to look at the whole narrative of Scripture and the rest of the Bible in 20 minutes, it's going to be ace, um, just to see if we can fix a fixed point in our lives, see if we can fix that fulcrum, see if we can focus on God and who he is and what he does so that when we are tested, we don't fall flat on our faces. And before we carry on too much further, I'm going to say, because I've forgotten like Lydia did, that Jack and Sue this morning are away. (laughs) They are um, down with Nancy celebrating her ministry. They'll be back next week. I'll squeeze that in now before we get too serious in a minute. Um, So we should be around about Lamentations. Now, a little bit of context. The book of Lamentations um, was written, um, it was written about the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem in about 597 BC. And this was a horrible, horrible thing. So this was, um, the Babylonian army had Jerusalem under siege for about 18 months. And the city was full of people because the Israelites from outside of Jerusalem had been invited into the city to protect them from the Babylonians. Um, But food supplies had run low. They'd been under siege for ages. And actually it was so, so grim, so awful that in Lamentations 4, um, it describes how compassionate women boiled their own children. There was so little food, they were so desperate that the Israelites in Jerusalem were, I mean, it was, I don't even want to say it again, but they were, I can't, they were, they were eating their children just to survive. People were dying in the streets. The holy city that God had established. God had promised great things for Jerusalem. It was where he had established his temple. It was where he'd established his presence on earth. And it was completely devastated. It was absolutely decimated. And I say that um, not by any means to revel in the gory details. It is some of the most unpleasant um, description of suffering that I think there is in the Bible. But just to illustrate that this is a book, and what we're going to look at is written against a backdrop of extreme suffering. And, And in a slightly kind of backwards way, I sort of hope that that encourages you, because I know that this year has been tough. And I know that it's been really, really tough for some of us in particular. And I don't, not for one second, I want to underplay how hard that's been. But what I do know is that the Bible understands. The Bible understands our suffering. When we're at our very, very lowest, the Bible gets it. The people who are writing the wisdom that we look at have been there. And they have wisdom for us to learn from. And so the fact that it understands our suffering allows it to speak into our lives. And so um, I just, I want to pray, Jesus, that you would open our hearts this morning, open our ears to hear from you. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would speak your wisdom into our lives. Father God, I pray that it would be your words this morning. I pray that you would encourage, that you would lift up, that you would edify, that you would challenge. Lord Jesus, but that we would leave here more passionate, more loving, more filled with grace because of who you are, because of your word, because of what you've done. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So Lamentations is, um, is five chapters, five poems um, that each deal with the suffering of the people in Jerusalem. It takes about half an hour to read. Probably do it after lunch, not before. Um, but it's, it's a, it's, it is a great book. It's a difficult read, but it is good. Um, 
And it involved, it's the people of Jerusalem kind of lamenting their suffering and their loss. They acknowledge their, their own role in rebelling against God. Um, and the first two chapters in particular are a bleak and despairing, just lament for everything that is going on. And then right in the middle of chapter three, Right in the heart of the book, there's this moment of hope. And we're going to read chapter 3, verse 19 to 26. And the writer says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And in the midst of all of the chaos and the suffering and the devastation and the desperation and the despair, the poet in that moment had hope in the Lord's great love, in his compassion and in his faithfulness. And, and the, rest of the, the rest of the book of Lamentations, the next um, couple of chapters, they still carry on in that slightly bleak vein. They still are quite unpleasant. But you can see that the focus has just shifted a little bit. And the poems begin to hope in the restoration of God. The poet remembers God's promises about Jerusalem, and he has hope that the city that he has seen crumble around him will be restored. And so the judgment of Jerusalem, what happens to Jerusalem, the devastation in that city is seen as the seeds for its restoration. And that that one verse in there, that that moment of hope has become the kind of standout, like stick it on the fridge, sing it in the songs um, kind of a verse. And and I know that, I don't know how how you are, but for me, I know that I could tell you God's mercies in you every morning before I really had any idea where in the Bible that came from and and, and what the context was. And it's it's interesting to me that the the translation that's become popular is uses the word mercies rather than the word compassion because those words have slightly different nuances and most translations actually use the word compassion. And I've kind of understood that verse when I I knew it just in isolation, God's mercies are new every morning. I kind of understood it as just a personal thing. Like for me, God's mercies are new every morning and and I can be forgiven every day because of the bad things I've done, regardless of what they are, because in the morning, God's mercies are new and I get to be forgiven. And that is true. I'm not going to challenge that. That is true. That does happen. That's great. When we, um, when we repent of our sins, God's grace is limitless. It is inexhaustible and we are forgiven. But I think there's something else going on here as well. And it's that that I want to explore this morning. Because the other thing here, I think, speaks to the foundations of what we believe as Christians. I think it allows us to get some things in place so that when we're tested, when there's difficult times, we've got that solid fulcrum. We know what we're believing in. And so we're going to just leave Lamentations for a second and look at the whole of the Bible. The, the narrative of Scripture, the whole story of the Bible, can loosely be summarized in kind of four sections. There is creation, the fall, redemption, and renewal. Creation, the fall, redemption, and renewal. 
and, uh, and a pastor in London, Pete Hughes, um, describes it as one of the great tragedies of church history. That that full narrative, that four-part creation, full redemption renewal, has gradually over time become focused on just full redemption. And that's a great, great part of the story. I'm not, don't for one second think that I'm doing that down. That is really important. But what happens is when our, um, when our evangelism starts with fall, when it starts with sin, we miss out on what else God is doing. And that can sometimes, sometimes hamper our ability to process what is going on in the world around us. And it's not heresy, I promise, stick with me, we'll get there. When we bring creation and renewal into the picture as well, our understanding changes a little bit because now the fall and the redemption is part of a bigger narrative. It's part of a bigger picture of what God is doing. It's part of a story where God is fulfilling his plan for all of creation by establishing a kingdom on earth that will lead to the renewal of all things. And so when we look at the world, we don't look at the world as a failing project. We don't look at the world as a failure that Christians are zapped off when we die or at the moment that Jesus comes back. The world is a project that God has promised to renew and he has promised to restore with new creation. When we look in Genesis 1, we see that God spoke order into an earth that was formless and empty. And the Hebrew word is one of my favorite, I'm not going to call it a word, my favorite sounds that I've learned in the last few weeks is tohu vavohu. Tohu vavohu, have a go, it's great. Um, and it means disordered and chaotic. God's first great creative act was to bring order out of chaos and confusion. God brings light out of darkness. God takes the chaos of the world and he lovingly crafts it into a garden. And sometimes we're tempted to think of creation as just done and dusted after day six, that God did his creating and now he's finished. But God is still creating. He is still sustaining his creation. He is still bringing order out of chaos as he continues to establish his kingdom on earth. And the coming of that kingdom is the promise that he is, as he says in Revelation, making all things new. And so, um, yes, verses 22 and 23 in Lamentations do celebrate the fact that God in his mercy doesn't destroy us for our sin. But they also look around. They look around a disordered and chaotic, traumatic, frightening, harrowing world. And they have faith in a God who restores and renews. And, and while the, the poet in Lamentations has faith in God to restore Jerusalem, we can have deeper faith in the promise of Jesus that he will not just restore Jerusalem, but the whole world, the entirety of creation, all things will be made new. And so I don't know, I don't know what your struggle is this morning. I don't know what your worries, what your frustrations, what your anxieties. I do know that all of that stuff all the stuff of life is taking place now against the backdrop of a global pandemic that has made everything, let's be honest, really hard. Like, I, don't, I would be surprised, maybe some of you are loving life, but I would be surprised if there's anyone in the room who's having the best year of their life so far. I'm not sure. Talk to me later if that's you. I'm excited for you. Pray for me. And, and I know enough about the year that we've just had to know that 
there will be disappointment. There will be frustration in the room. There will be loneliness. Maybe there is grief. Maybe you're weary to your bones, just fed up. Maybe you're waking up every morning and it's as much as you can do just to put one foot in front of the other and get out of bed. And maybe it feels to you like it did to the writer of Lamentations, like everywhere you look there is chaos and devastation or death. And if that's you this morning, let me just draw your attention to the wording of this verse. That God's compassions never fail. Compassion was, it was word of the week at school two weeks ago, and I taught all the kids, compassion literally means to suffer with. When we hear that God's compassions never fail, that's a God who suffers with us. That's different to a God who looks at your suffering from a distance and decides to stop it just before it destroys you because he's merciful. This is a God who joins you in your suffering and suffers with you. Who loves you so much that he suffered for you so that in the depths of your darkness, in the valley of the shadow of death, you could have hope in the promise that there will be an end to all suffering. That out of this present chaos, he will bring light and restoration. Suffering will end. There will be no death or mourning or crying or pain. And so I want to remind you again about that seesaw and that fulcrum. The the narrative, that biblical narrative of redemption, restoration and renewal, that should be the foundation for our beliefs. Because when we're struggling and when we're in pain and when the world around us is crumbling, we know that God, who is the creator and the sustainer of all things, is at work through his kingdom, rebuilding his creation. We know that he is a merciful and compassionate and good and faithful God, and he gives us hope in the renewal of all things, including our present circumstances. And in Lamentations, these verses are the the pivot that the whole book hinges on. They change the understanding of the situation, and, and the poet begins to look through his pain into the future that God has promised. And as Lydia said earlier, it doesn't bring an end to the suffering. It doesn't stop it, but he is not defeated. He is not defeated by it because he knows God's compassion and faithfulness in the midst of it, and he has hope in God's promise for Jerusalem's future. And it should be the same with us. The world that we inhabit is very, very clearly broken. It's hard, and we feel the the ache and the brokenness of creation all around us. But here's what I find exciting. Here's the good bit. The writer of Lamentations had just one option. He comes to the conclusion that, um, yes, his faith and and hope is in the promise of God's coming kingdom, but his only option is to wait. And so he says, I will wait and I will wait quietly. But for us, God's kingdom has come. It's here, it's on earth, it's announced in the person of Jesus. And in the midst of the darkness, the light of the world came to begin the process of making things new, of restoring creation and establishing his kingdom. And while Jesus ushered in God's coming kingdom, we know that there is more to come. We live in in this tension of the fact that the kingdom of God is both here and also sort of not yet here. It's what theologians call the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. We live in it and there is more to come. 
And so while we wait for the return of Jesus, while we wait for the, the coming of the kingdom in its fullness, we live in a disordered and frustrating and slightly chaotic world. And we see moments we see moments of God's new creation kingdom and miracles happen and there are healings and there is provision. And we see those pockets of the kingdom breaking out. But sometimes also we don't. Sometimes that kingdom feels like it's not yet here. Sometimes there is still pain. And I don't know, I don't know why God sometimes does something, sometimes doesn't, sometimes does it work, sometimes doesn't seem to be. I don't think anybody has a satisfactory answer to that question really, but it's in those moments where we don't necessarily feel like the kingdom of God has broken in, that we need to remind ourselves that it's because of the Lord's great love that we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. That the Lord is good to those who hope in him, that even though the kingdom is not yet here in its fullness, it is coming. It is coming. And when we say that the best is yet to come, that's, uh, that's not a, a vain, shallow kind of papers over the cracks, all the best is yet to come, don't worry. That is a rock solid belief that yes, we are living in a fallen and a broken world, but God's plan is not over. This is not it. God's kingdom is coming in its fullness. And I don't know I don't know where you are on the, on the spectrum. Maybe you're, maybe you're right at the bottom of the barrel and you're suffering and you're hurting and you're doubting and you're angry. Maybe you're not quite at that point, but perhaps you are, as I said earlier, maybe you're fed up. Maybe you're anxious, maybe you're frustrated, just waiting for this whole thing to play out for whatever's gonna happen to happen. But wherever you are on that spectrum, know that his compassions are new every morning. That every morning, God is with you in your struggle and your suffering, in your frustration and your anxiety. God is with you. That every morning, God is that little bit closer to bringing his kingdom to reign in its fullness on the earth. That every morning, God is working to fulfill his plan for creation and that he is making all things new. And there's a, there's a challenge, I think, that comes from this verse in Lamentations. And I think the challenge is to, to maybe reframe how we see the world, how we see our situations, how we see our city, our work, our relationships, our future. And the challenge, I think, is this, that however bad it is, however painful it is, however disappointing or frustrating or mundane it is, remember that overall narrative creation, fall, redemption, renewal. Remember that God is with you in your suffering and that he is working towards the renewal and the restoration of all of creation. And so yes, those pockets of his kingdom are breaking out on the earth and he chooses to partner with us to make it happen. He chooses to use us to partner with him to renew creation, to bring his kingdom on earth. And so just like the writer of Lamentations looks forward to the rebuilding of Jerusalem, we can look forward to the rebuilding of all creation. And so I want to encourage you this morning to ask God, what does it look like? What does it look like for your kingdom to break in and restore 
whatever. What does it look like for your kingdom to break in and restore this city? What does it look like, God, for your kingdom to break in and restore my workplace? What does it look like for your kingdom to break in and restore my marriage, my relationships, my heart, the way I spend my money? Whatever it is, particularly if it's the source of your pain, the source of your worry, ask God, what does it look like? What does that look like in his kingdom? And then when you've got a vision of what you're hoping for, when you've got a vision of what God's restoration will look like, let that change the way you see your circumstances. Let it change the way that you live. Because in God's mercy and compassion, he allows us to play a part in bringing his kingdom on earth. He chooses to work through us to bring the transformation in our world that we desperately, desperately long for. I quoted Pete Hughes earlier on. He's, uh, he's written a book called All Things New that is outstanding, and I recommend it. Um, and it goes through all of this in much more detail. Uh, but he says in there that if the end goal is the renewal of all things, followers of Jesus are tasked to be agents of renewal. The full glory of that renewal awaits Jesus' return. But every endeavor in line with that vision now will last for eternity. So we have an invitation this morning. We have an invitation to think differently about our world. To hope in a future that is better than the disordered chaos of our present and to partner with a good and faithful and merciful God to bring about that renewal. So my prayer for you this morning is, I'll ask Tom to come back up, my prayer for you this morning is that um, as you go about your week this week, that you would start to see your circumstances with fresh eyes, with new eyes, with a revelation of what God could do, of what his kingdom could look like wherever you are. And pray into it. Lord Jesus, I just ask this morning that you would speak to our hearts, that you would reveal to us a vision of your restoration and your renewal. Lord, reveal to us what your kingdom might look like in each of our lives, in our homes, in our places of work, Father, wherever we are. In the brokenness of our lives, Lord, give us fresh revelation of you, fresh revelation of your will, of your renewal. Lord, I thank you for that story, that you are redeeming and restoring all of your creation. I thank you that our hope can be in your restoration. That we don't just have to ride out the present horribleness until you take us away, but that you are coming here to make it better. And so, Lord Jesus, I invite you here. I invite you in. I invite you into our lives. I invite you into this church, into this city, Father. And I ask you to make it better. Lord, let your kingdom come this morning. We need your kingdom. Lord Jesus, we need you. Let your kingdom come. As we cry out in despair, sometimes in pain, in suffering, Lord Jesus, let your kingdom come. For more information about our church, or to access more of our resources, please visit thefreedomcentre.com.